Okay, that's the message. <laughs> I realized I was sharing things I wanted to share today. But it's great to be at a church where the pastor just says, you're not going to listen to this guy anyway, isn't it? That was a great introduction. You're not going to listen. Just fill those cards out. My honest heart is, I do. I love this place. I mean, just again, tonight in worship, just, oh, I love this church. I love this church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in saying that, uh, my my... My heart goes out to, to Christ, who made it possible, obviously, but to, to our staff. I mean, ch- churches don't just happen. They have to be led. And um, I, I know you join me, uh, those of us here at Bridgeway that call this place home. We know. We've seen this place grow over the last, you know, who knows how many years that it's been on this growth tra- trajectory. And it's just, it's an amazing place. So um, we join our hearts together and say thank you to our staff. They're wonderful people. So I did. You saw in the video, I grew up in a, a very traditional Southern Baptist church. And what I want to share with you today is, is this, this man that I was introduced to. Uh, and his name is Jesus. And he literally is a man. And that's one of the things I want to talk about tonight. The, the, the humanity of this man, Jesus. Now, I didn't always understand that. You know, if I wanted to explain, if I wanted to tell you and introduce you to somebody, uh, my friend Ben, for instance, I could tell you that uh, Ben is six foot tall. Ben lives in Dallas, Texas. He's a Texan. That might tell you something about him right there. Uh, I could tell you facts, but that wouldn't tell you a whole lot about Ben. But if I told you stories, if I said Ben and I went to Cabo and he just was passionate about charting a boat and marlin fishing for a day and how that day went, you get an idea of what kind of guy Ben is. Then the next day, he wanted to rent jet skis, and when we were supposed to stay inside the bay, he went out in the waves and jumped waves and, you know, dodged rocks, and you get a, start to get an idea what kind of a man Ben is. Well, the same is true of Jesus. I don't want to talk about facts and figures. I want to tell stories. Now, I grew up hearing stories about Jesus. They were, they were flannel graph stories. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say flannel graph? Okay. Yeah, my daughter is in third grade, and her classroom has PowerPoint and all this stuff. No. I mean, I grew up in flannel graph Sunday school world, and here's, here's flannel graph, graph world, if you don't know. L- little, little class of us, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth graders, and usually we had, usually it was a woman, a Southern Baptist woman, a wonderful woman in her mid-70s, maybe. <laughs> Those were the, the young spry teachers. And she had this, this little flannel board, and she, she'd tell us a story about Jesus, and she'd reach down and grab a little felt or a flannel Jesus and, and pop him up there. And he's like, and, and then, you know, over here's some sheep, and, and Jesus went to see the sheep, and she'd move him, and he's like, you know, you know what I mean, okay? That's flannel graph Jesus, okay? That's the Jesus I grew up knowing. That's flannel graph Jesus. It was great, and it really did set a great, a wonderful foundation for me to, to learn these stories of Jesus. But there's more. There is so much more than flannel graph Jesus. And kind of my working mindset for our message tonight, this weekend, was Jesus beyond the flannel graph. Who is this man? Because he is a man. To fill in the blank in front of you there, it says, uh, we tend to move toward our mental image of God. We tend to move toward our mental image of God. And that's why we're headed into this message today. Jesus was God. And the way we see God will form the way we see the world. It, it informs everything about us. 
If you think of the way you see and, and understand and know and believe in God, it frames the way you see your own life. It frames the way you see responsibility in your life. What is up to you and what is up to God? It colors everything. There is nothing more important than how we view God. Period. There's nothing. That's it. What do we believe about God? It's absolutely critical. We're going to jump into the scripture to do that. If you do not have a Bible and would like one, we'd love for you to have one. Would you please raise your hand? We will bring a Bible to you. I'm going to give you a page number. It'll be real easy to find exactly where we're headed. And leave that hand up until you get a Bible. We will get one to you. We're going to start. We're going to, we're going to start in the Gospel of John and go back to, to Luke and then finish up back in John. So, you see, Lance, Lance usually gets these nice passages and he gets to stay in one passage. You know, he gets all year to talk to you guys, right? I get one night. So I'm going to cram a bunch in tonight. So, you know, reach down, buckle up, fasten your seatbelt. We're going to go. It's go time. Foundational to looking at the life of Jesus. One of the things we've got to understand is this, this foundational understanding. When we look at the life of Jesus, you can always remember this. No matter what you see, remember this. We're looking at love. We're looking at love. He says he is love. He is the very embodiment of love. If there's nothing else you can understand, that's the starting point. If Jesus is telling a story and it's a bit of a mystery... Remember, okay, starting point. What's going on here? Love is going on here. Love frames everything Jesus says, everything he does. We're looking at love when we look at the life of Jesus. And the second foundational truth we need to understand is just killing us. I mean, it's just killing us, and it's this. There's this belief that's kind of just crept into our thinking. And that is this belief that Jesus is just... Well, he's God, right? And he's just kind of floating through life. It's not really a challenge. He's just cruising along because he's God. And when we do that, first of all, it's not biblical. Yes, he is God. But when he comes to this earth as a human, he is completely human. Philippians 2 says... He emptied himself. That, that Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, didn't regard that something that he held on to. He set aside all that power. He emptied himself. Came to this earth completely emptied of deity. Full of humanity. We share that with him. He is human just as we are human. Hebrews 10 also says that Jesus shared fully in our humanity. He's not floating through life. And we have this idea, kind of like Einstein, going back to take a third grade math quiz. <laughs> oh yeah, this is really hard, isn't it, guys? You know, no, that's not true. That is not the way Jesus negotiated life. He was fully human, just like you and I. Those are foundational thoughts. We're looking at love, and he's not cheating on the test. He is not cheating. He is human. So let's jump in. In the Bible's handed out to you, page 751, we're going to start in John chapter 2. Now again, I mean, we're just scratching the surface. We are just touching on his life here. There is so much to be said about his life. But let's just, let's just take a few looks here and see what we find. John chapter 2. 
This is known as the first miracle. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, said to Jesus, they have no more wine. Okay, pause. Jesus grew up in the Jewish culture. And in Jewish culture, family is everything. I mean, kind of a, a modern-day humorous spin on that. Think of something like my big fat Greek wedding. You know, those family bonds, those are everything. You know, for a more dark look, maybe a movie like The Godfather would capture it. Family is everything. Well, Jesus is there at the, uh, the wedding, and his mother says, they have no more wine. And Jesus says, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Wait a second. Verse 4, Jesus says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Next verse, do whatever he tells you. How about that? How's that for a mom who knows her son just loves him? She's, she just knows. She knows Jesus. And Jesus, you know, what he does here is so beautiful. Jesus said, uh, oh, verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they went and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Hey, everybody brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Okay. Do you see the beauty of this mother-son relationship? I mean, Jesus, this wasn't in the plan. And he had a plan. I mean, he's real clear. That, you know, that's not in the plan. And, and, and Mary, she'll know how to do it. They've got this, this bond, this familial bond. And uh, Jesus, now remember, he's not cheating on the test here. So what he must be doing behind the scenes is, He's got to be communicating with the Father. He's got to have a heart in dialogue, openness to his heavenly Father. This is in bounds, out of bounds. Where do we go with this? Let's do it. It's go time. He pulls the trigger. He does it. Okay. If, if nothing else, here's one thing this passage should do for you. It, it does for me. It gives incredible, incredible insight into prayer because I have to confess there are times when I think okay pray yeah because that's the right thing to do but not because it changes things look at this Jesus is movable his father is movable the plan is movable it takes relationship 
but it's movable. It's absolutely beautiful that the context this puts prayer into is that Jesus, and by extension the Father, can be persuaded to do something that was not in his original plans. That's prayer. This gives incredible, beautiful context to prayer. The second thing we see, uh, another thing we see about Jesus here, and this is just, as I say this, stop, pause button for a second. Peel away the flannel board thoughts, okay? Yes, we're reading scripture, but let's take away the religious drapery. I mean, the stuff we hang on Jesus that we just kind of assume is him because we know he's God and he saved the world. Take it off for a minute. Because what we have here in Jesus is a man. And the question we need to be asking is, what kind of a man do we have? What is really going on here? What kind of a man do we have? And one thing I take from this is that Jesus was amazingly extravagant in his nature. When he decided to do what Mary said, there's no wine, he didn't say, Okay, Simon Peter, would you go get a couple bottles? You know, he didn't walk in with a couple bottles. He said, okay, get the ceremonial jars, fill them up to the brim. There's, there's uh, six of them. They hold between 20 and 30 gallons. If we average it out to 25, that's 150 gallons. 150 gallons of really good vino. Okay. I mean, he grows grapes, but hey, he made this stuff himself. I'm thinking this is probably some pretty good wine. Extravagant. Wow. He basically just put his stamp of approval on this wedding reception and said, we're going to be here a while, folks. It's going to be a great night. I mean, let's have a wonderful time. It's, it's, it's absolutely extravagant. The resources he has that he is willing to share. This is a window into Jesus. This is the kind of man we have here. Now, many of our life stories have been touched by alcohol. And I know, you know, the church I grew up in is a great example. We wouldn't even talk about this. Because we're scared to death of, of this passage, honestly. And there's something in that that I agree with. Yeah, you know, because of all the pain that alcohol has caused in people's lives, why here? What's going on? And it just reveals something else very interesting. And this is no endorsement in any way or of anything except Jesus. And that is this. He is not afraid to give people freedom of choice. He is absolutely not afraid of it. The Father is not afraid of it. I mean, look at the choice He gave us. You have a choice. You had a choice to come tonight. You had a choice at some point in your life to say, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm going a different direction. Or you had a choice to say, I want to open my life because I believe God has a place here. You have the choice to reject Him or accept Him. If we dig down in that a little further... God made himself vulnerable to you. What a freedom. Jesus is absolutely not afraid to give people freedom. 
There's a dignity in humanity that he gives them, that he gives us when he gives freedom. My son is only six, you know, and uh, this last year it became, okay, Luke, you can decide what you're going to wear on your own. He loved me to pick out his clothes. He loved his mom to pick out his clothes. And, you know, we needed to for a while, but we don't need to anymore. He needs to pick out his own clothes. That's part of his freedom. And over the course of his life, his growing up years, I plan to give him more and more and more freedom. And with that freedom, he can do great harm. Or with that freedom, he can choose the power of making valuable, life-giving decisions. And Jesus entrusts us to make these choices. It's free will. It's free will. God could have made a world where we didn't have the choice to reject Him. But it wouldn't be anything like our world today. It would be a very sad place. Because if you want a place, if you want a place where love is real and true and authentic, you've got to make yourself vulnerable to not being loved. There is no other way. And that's what God chose to do. The power of freedom. Jesus is not afraid to give it. We're going to jump backwards now to Luke, the book of Luke. From John, we go back to Luke, Luke chapter 4. Again, in the Bible's handed out to you. We're going to go to page 727. Page 727. It's Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus, once again, we join him. He's a... Let's just go right in and read Luke 4.14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, He went to the synagogue, as was His custom. And He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Him. Unrolling it, He found the place where it is written. Jesus stood and read this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for, for the prisoners to recover, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Wow. What he just did was identified himself in several ways, but in core, what he did is he identified his mission. He said, I am here to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. The prophet Isaiah had, had, had written this hundreds of years earlier, and it was intended for the Messiah. And Jesus also identified himself as that Messiah. But he, he gave us his mission. I'm here to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. I thought for years and years and years, I thought, oh, that's the lost. That's the people who don't know Jesus. You know, it's me. Yeah, I realized about 15 years ago, this is me. I am the, the brokenhearted. I am the lost. Yes, I've come to Jesus. My life is being restored, but it is still broken. I am broken in places inside that He wants to access and heal. And so are you. We are the brokenhearted. We are the bound captives. And His life's mission is to set us free. That's what he came for. That's the good news. And he starts his whole ministry off right here by saying, this is what I came for. 
Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He wants to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. You know, a common theme about Jesus, when he, when he interacts with people, he disrupts their life. He disrupts their life. Usually in a positive way, depending on the person. Occasionally, he'll spin somebody around and they don't even know what happened. Usually that was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, someone who was oppressing the weak. But he is winsomely disruptive for the most part. He comes in, disrupts just enough to get our attention, and moves on and leaves us going, something about that guy. What he said, that was truth. And I need to find a place for that truth in my life. A little further along in Matthew, uh, Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is a beautiful passage of Jesus calling disciples. Remember, this is a man here. The question here is, what kind of a man do we have? This is a man here. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crying around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and said to him, to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats, come on over, help them out. I mean... This is absolutely amazing. These guys didn't catch anything all night. Jesus goes out, boom. He drops the nets on one side of the boat. They, they can't even pull them in. They have to call, call their buddies over. Then, they get all the, the, the nets in. They get over to shore. And Jesus starts interacting with other men on the shore. These fishermen. And he tells them, drop what you're doing and come follow me. And they did. What? Okay, wait a minute. Flannel board Jesus? That Jesus that I knew for so long, there is not a man that I know, especially not a, a callous working class man like these guys, you know, a man's man. There's not a man I know who would follow that guy. He was a liability in the world of masculinity. And then these guys, these men's men, are like... I'm leaving it. I'm not. I'm following this man. Question. All the religious stuff aside, what kind of a man do we have here? I mean, seriously. Who is he that these men will say, I'm following this guy. I'm leaving it. And I'm going with this man. Doesn't that make you curious? Doesn't that make you kind of want to read a few more verses, a few more chapters, a few more stories, and go, what kind of a man do we have here? Yeah, he's something. He will alter your world if you start looking at him through that paradigm. We've got to let this religious drapery fall off and realize we have a man here. What kind of a man do we have? I love this man. I mean, I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. I love this man. I absolutely love this man. Who he is, what he offers, his winsome disruptiveness. Having known him over the course of my life, he was my dad. 
I love this man. And I stand here, I mean, kind of under this umbrella of, if I could just give a testimony, I want you to know him the way I do. And then some. Because he will alter your world. What kind of a man do we have here? Aren't you intrigued by that? Okay. Continuing, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Beautiful picture here of Jesus. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now, you guys remember leprosy, right? Terrible degenerative skin disease. This culture, it was so bad. If you had leprosy, you had to have your hair unkept. You couldn't comb it, brush it, wet it down, nothing. Had to be a mess. Your clothes had to be torn, and you had to walk through town. Anytime people were around, yelling, unclean. So people could not just move out of the way and make a space. They I mean, gave you big-time passageway. That's what's going on here. This guy has leprosy. Here comes Jesus. When this man saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Somehow this man knows about Jesus. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately, immediately, the leprosy was gone. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifice you need to, the Moses commanded for your cleansing. And move on. Wow. Okay, he's not cheating on the test. Where did he get this power? Where did this come from? It came from the Father. It came from the Father. The same Father that you and I have access to. It came from the Father. Jesus makes it very clear. He has one source for everything he does. Everything he thinks, everything he says, and every, everything he does. He says, I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do and what the Father tells me to say. Wow. That's where it comes from. He gets this power from the Father. And he says, I'm willing. Be clean. Why did Jesus touch this guy? I mean, he didn't need to touch him. He could have said, yeah, be clean. Why did he touch him? Being a leper for who knows how long, what is the one thing this man has not had in years? Human touch. Do you have any idea what it must have meant to him to be touched? Whoa. You know, and, and Jesus, by touching him, he just made himself subject to all kinds of laws now. He has to go be washed and cleansed and, you know, no one can touch him and he has a stigma on him now. He's not even concerned about that in the least. Not even in the least. He just reaches out and touches the man and says, you're healed. Go. Wow. He's generous. He is so generous. Not just with wine, but with himself. His reputation, his body, the power of the Father that flows through him. He is so generous. Staying in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Let's move on. These next three verses. One day he was teaching, Jesus was, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. They were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. 
Some men came, carrying a paralytic on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They went up on the roof! And they started lowering Jesus, uh, this man to Jesus through a hole in the roof. Okay. There are a lot of places, a lot of churches... They cannot grow to save their lives. They, they may have church growth meetings and strategies and planning, but you know what happens when the kingdom of God is present? You can't keep people away. You cannot keep people away. Parenthetically, boy, this place has been growing a lot in the last few years. <laughs> Hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, when Jesus is bringing the kingdom, people are willing to rip the roof off of a place to get their friends to him. I mean, this is stunning. Question, what kind of a man do we have here? What kind of a man is he? Wow. This is not flannel board Jesus. Wow. And again, you see him. He heals the paralytic. He heals the man. He also forgives his sins. Of course, that sins the Pharisees, Sadducees. I mean, that sins them saying, Who is this man? How can he do this? No way! Yeah. Who is this man? He is something unbelievable. Um, oh, boy, there's so much to go through. <laughs> Lance, I envy you. Week after week, there's so much to share. Jesus, in the next verse, something he does something so beautiful. There's a woman who is a widow. Scripture tells us she's a widow and her son has died. And her son's body is actually in the coffin and they're walking by with the coffin. This whole thing stops and Jesus gives the young man his life back. It says before he does that, his heart is touched and broken for the widow. Oh! The same man that fishermen will drop everything and follow, has his heart touched over the broken-hearted widow. And he gives life back to her by giving physical life to her son. It's just beautiful. It is just beautiful. By the way, Jesus, and, and, and the Gospel writer Luke captures this so well, Jesus holds women in such high esteem he, he comes on the scene into a culture that is very hierarchical between the, there are Jews and there are non-Jews. There are men and there are women. And, and Jesus comes in and he just blows the doors off. There's, there's just people. There's Jews and Gentiles. And, and Jesus says, I'm changing everything. We're all just going to be people now. And we all have access to God. And he says, yeah, there are, there are genders, obviously. And Captain Obvious, there's men and women. But we're all equal. We're all equal. This isn't a hierarchical deal anymore. He blew the barriers away. And Luke captures that so well. When Jesus touches, or when a woman touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and is healed. And Jesus turns around and listens to her life story. When Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman and gives her the dignity of listening to her life story, he breaks all of the rules. All of the rules. I want to show you a clip from a movie. And we are going to wrap up shortly after this clip. You've got to see this. It's from the movie Les Mis. 
And it's a story about a, a man who is a convicted felon. He is, he's in prisons for 20 years for stealing a loaf of bread in a time of poverty for his family. He's in prison for 20 years, hard labor. He gets released from prison. He's given two days to travel across the countryside to show his papers to his probation officer. He stops for a night. He's trying to get some rest on the bench. And his life is winsomely disrupted. Watch this and see if you identify with this. You can't sleep here. Get away from me. Why don't you go to an inn? What do you think? Knock on doors? Ask people? I asked. I asked everywhere. Leave me alone. You didn't ask there. Changed the course of his life to have one man believe in him, to see him, to give him the freedom that he was meant to live in again. There is a man who is that for you and for me. And he's a very real man. And his name is Jesus. The invitation into life is yours. You get to number one. Be the recipient of it. And number two, like the bishop, it gets to flow through you. And you get to give it. Because he wasn't cheating on the test. And the same God, the same Father that empowered the life of Jesus, empowers yours and mine. If we model ourselves after the life of Jesus, it's not performing in the moment, but it's in those abiding lives that are given over to the Father where the Father expresses Himself. And the life of Jesus is both received and lived. I love this man. He's winsomely destructive. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask You to uh, take the veil away. Reveal to us in any way that you need to or can who you really are. May tonight just be a little starting point for what you want to show us about who you are. We open our hearts that you might speak. We give ourselves to you so that we might see who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.